You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, innovation, public policy, and strategy. As always, we're broadcasting from This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network here in Atlanta. For this episode, we'll continue our 2015 innovation series focusing on marketplace innovation, as well as growth capital strategies for entrepreneurs and young companies. As many of you heard over the past couple weeks, my previous segments highlighted Gozio Health and their very unique and fast-growing innovations in hospital navigation and wayfinding, as well as the company Auto Recruitment, who is single-handedly revolutionizing the science of patient recruitment for clinical trials and research. Today, though, I'm very excited about our next segment in this series as we shift our focus to investing in growth capital strategies. As most, most companies and entrepreneurs know, Investor growth capital are essential fuels to igniting the innovation that begins in our hearts, our labs, and even our communities. I'm pleased to have my guest today, Philip Lewis. Thanks for having me, Justin. Excellent. Thank you and welcome, my friend. So Philip is a director at Fulcrum Equity Partners, one of the leading growth capital funds in the Southeast. I first met Philip at Venture Atlanta last fall, and then ironically quickly realized that my wife and his fiance were already good friends. Thanks again for joining me today, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. So before we dive in, um, tell me a little bit and tell us a little bit about Fulcrum and what you guys do. Yeah, Fulcrum's a little unique in our approach. We actually got our start from a gentleman named Jeff Muir sold a company called On Target that he was the chief operating officer of. They were a sales training business to software companies back in kind of the late 90s, sold to Siebel Systems at the height of the bubble for, Mm -hmm. you know, height of the bubble type money. And he ended up investing the founder's capital in one-off deals um, kind of from 2000 through 2006. Um, one of the ways we got into healthcare was one of the deals he did was Healthfield, which eventually became Gentiva, which I'm sure most of the people sure. here know. Um, so home health is still a focus of ours. But he also invested in a company called Regency Hospice, which was Tom Greer's company uh, that eventually sold to EDG Partners and then a portfolio company of GTCR. And that was another fulcrum investment. So Tom and Jeff actually partnered up with the third guy, Frank Dalton, who was with Cordova Ventures, and founded Fulcrum in 06 and raised a dedicated fund, a $40 million fund um, that was invested in 11 companies, had some pretty good results, and raised a second fund back in 2012, a $93 million fund that we're currently investing out of. Excellent. And so I think I probably know the answer to this, and my audience can figure it out too, but how did they pick, how did Jeff pick and you guys pick Atlanta as the place to start the fund? Yeah, well, it's interesting how we picked it and then how it was marketed. They picked it because they live here. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's where, you know, Tom moved here after he went to Clemson. Jeff uh, went to Georgia, and Frank's been here since, I guess, the early 80s. But when we go out and raise our fund, we actually have a slide that we present to potential investors that says Atlanta is an excellent location for a growth capital fund. Um, it's really the south quarters of the south or the headquarters of the southeast. It's got the world's busiest airport, two-hour flight to 80% of the population, um, three interstates, so it's a three-hour drive to Nashville, Birmingham, Greenville, Charlotte, you know, you name the city. Um, A lot of people don't know there was the fastest-growing MSA from 2000 to 2007, 
but a couple of the really unique factors about it, 130,000 businesses in the Atlanta metropolitan area. So a lot of potential companies for us to invest in. Um, nearly, or just over 70% of the Fortune 1,000 have yeah. operations in Atlanta. So access to large customers. And then also, there's a lot of deals getting done here, and most of the capital is coming from not in the southeast. Um, of the $5.5 billion that was invested, and that's billion with a B, from 06 to 2010, and 775 uh, southeast-based companies, yeah. only 14% was funded by Georgia-based firms. So we think being in Atlanta gives us a real big strategic advantage to actually invest in those companies, and they would probably rather take our money than money out from the West Coast or up to the Northeast. Uh, very good points. And actually, almost all of those points that you went through there uh, are reasons why Atlanta is a health IT capital of America as well. We have not only a phenomenal ecosystem here in Atlanta and certainly our metro surrounding counties, but also in the state of Georgia, but also, like you mentioned, within the three-hour drive, you can get to some significant markets like Nashville, um, Charlotte, Birmingham, and just some really cool cities also that are fueling uh, our companies. Um, yep. So. You guys raised a fund, um, and now it's been uh, you know a good amount of time. But um, how difficult it is to uh, to raise a fund? Then obviously you're going through additional funds. It's not just one fund. You have don't you have multiple uh, funds in that management process? Yes. Yeah, so we're currently investing out of our second fund, and we'll likely be out raising our third fund sometime in the second half of this year. And a lot of companies like to um, you know opine on how difficult <laughs> it is for them to raise money, right. and you know that's very true. They have to talk to a lot of funds, and it takes a lot. Of long time. But what they don't realize is we also have to raise money, and it takes us a while. Um, <laughs> we point. went out for, to start raising our second fund in May of 2011 and didn't have our final close until December of 2012. So just over a year and a half to actually raise the capital. And that's because there's a lot of these funds of funds looking at a lot of different people to put the money to work in. And there's a lot of opportunities, and they're trying to build out a portfolio of funds, just like we're trying to build out a portfolio of companies. So actually marketing to them, going through their process, they do significant diligence on us, like we yeah. do significant diligence on our companies. Sure. So we definitely understand when we're asking for the information from companies to try to put the money to work, um, that we have to get that same amount of information off to other people as well. So Very good point. So what markets do you tend to invest in? And then also... Um, where do you tend to invest? Is it Southeast-based companies, so markets, and, uh, and kind of companies? Yeah, so as far as location, it's really the farther away it is from Atlanta, the more attractive it has to be. And that's really just where our networks are. Um, while it is really easy to get to over you know, 80% of the population in most of the cities, yeah. still most of the people you know are in your backyard, most of your relationships. And at the end of the day, this is really a relationship business. Um, you got to use your network to try to give yourself an advantage over other, you know, other funds. And other funds have different networks that they'll use as well. Um, and that's a positive for the companies who are taking the capital. As far as the markets that you know we invest in, mm -hmm. healthcare is obviously a long and strong suit of ours, coming from the Regency and Gentiva days. Um, we've done about half of our investing in healthcare, and it's been a long, strong suit of ours. The other half is kind of IT and then tech-enabled operating companies. So maybe think a distribution business with some sticky supply chain software. Um, main reasons for that, all of our partners have operating experience in those sectors, um, as well as our investor base is a little key differentiator for us. While we've got some institutions and endowments who've invested, mm -hmm. we also have exactly 100 current and former CEOs and C-level executives of businesses who we tap into for a wider range of 
you know, value-added resources for our companies from sitting on boards to strategic introductions. Um, it's just a really tremendous resource for us and our companies. So is that why Vulcan invests where they invest? Because of your vast amount of not only your experience as directors and as managers of the fund, but then also your CEO network. Yes, 100%. And that's really some advice I'd give to any entrepreneur is to really diligence the backgrounds of the funds that you're talking to. They really, you really want to take money from somebody who's bringing more to the table than just the capital. You know, if you have a consumer product business, we'd likely be the first ones to tell you, don't necessarily come to us (laughs) for the capital. You should probably be talking to funds X, Y, and Z. Um, But if you have a home health and hospice platform, well, that's something we know a lot about. And that's something where we can add a lot of value and make a lot of good strategic um, introductions for them. So that's a really important facet that entrepreneurs want to focus on. Yeah, no, excellent, excellent point. Um, Not certainly when I'm helping companies, you know, one of the things I do is I'll help them raise money if they fit within my uh, purview. And uh, and then the very first thing is they'll just rattle off, well, introduce us to a bunch of investors and venture capitalists and growth capitalists. And I said, well, that's not really the name of the game. It's more about who's going to really, you know, benefit your business, who can drive the most value uh, to your organization. So they're going to, you know, you're going to look, you're going to try to vet investors as much as they're going to vet you and to look for the right strategic partner. So I'm glad that you're obviously, uh, you know, you have a lot more experience in this than I do, and you're offering the same advice. Um, so you've seen a lot of deals. And this is kind of where it gets even, you know, more fun for, I think, me in the, in the audience, um, is getting your, your advice uh, and your best practices. So you've seen a lot of deals, some good, some not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you, uh, you know, what advice would you offer to entrepreneurs just starting out uh, and maybe raising a seed round? So if you're just starting out, the yeah. number one piece of advice I can give you is sell something. <laughs> Good point. Thank you. Um, I like it. And you say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's really true. You find a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in IT businesses and healthcare IT, yeah. might be more engineer-focused, um, have great product ideas, really see a vision for that. But what they don't see is what the end customer actually wants. And that's the beautiful thing about technology nowadays and really the agile development methodologies where you can put a product out there and try to find a beta customer who really an alpha customer who will let you use them as basically a training ground and help you kind of mold your product. Uh, Too many times you see entrepreneurs who want to, you know, go and raise a million dollars from friends and family and build something huge and then take it to the market. And unfortunately, it's not what the market wants. So when you got to think about when you're raising capital and raising that seed round, typically that money is coming from friends and family. And you really need to think about that as your own money. These are people that you're going to have Thanksgiving dinner with. So you really want to be careful there and try to be as capital efficient as possible and kind of speed to market. And then once you're there, let the customer tell you what they want. And from that point, then look at raising a little bit of capital to start executing on what the customers are saying. Yeah, no, great advice and something that um, I certainly personally say and use, but it's not always what the entrepreneur wants to hear. They've, they've built this great widget uh, and now they want to go fund it to build it a little bit more and then bring it to market. And I said, no, I said, it, you, you can probably do that. There's some investors that might want to invest in that. But if you really want to get um, the best valuation uh, and really find the most strategic partners is really look for, you know, look for investors in, in other uh, equity partners uh, after you've closed one or two deals. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just, uh, again, you get all the feedback from the customer uh, and then you can bring all that back into your your uh, sales your process with um, with the growth capitalist. So I, I completely agree. 
So, um, and we may have touched on this, but um, I think very important when during the the life cycle of a company is it important to raise funds or when are when are good times I should say because every company is a little bit different. And obviously, you know, one things that I tell people or, or a few things that I tell people, you know, get one or two customers. Um, Get your, you know, get maybe an implementation or so. Get out there and get, kind of get your hands dirty, and then bring those experiences back uh, to some investors. But what would you say in the life cycle of a company? Yeah, it's really important to understand who you're going to approach. If you're going to approach angel investors, mm-hmm. then you might be more interested in actually going out a little bit earlier to get there. You know, actually, some stats from the Angel Capital Association. This yeah. is based in 2013. Uh, the angels actually invested in 71,000 deals in 2013 versus only 4,050 deals from venture capital. So they are doing significantly more deals at this early stage. And they actually invested $24.8 billion in those deals, whereas venture capital in their deals invested only $5 billion more, $29.6 billion in those deals. Wow. So you're actually seeing a lot of angels putting money to work on these early stage companies, because this goes back to a little bit of raising capital. The people we raise capital from aren't interested as much in venture capital anymore as mm-hmm. they were in uh, growth capital or mid-market buyout funds. Right. In 07, venture capital is actually the third highest um, percentage of where fund of funds wanted to put money. 2014, it was 15th. Wow. So you're seeing a lot of the capital wanting to go into later stage deals. So a lot of individuals like myself are investing in later stage deals now. Um, as far as inflection points of when to raise, once you have those one or two customers, that's when you can really go out and say, let's raise some angel capital, really prove out the market. And then once you get to really a million to two million in revenue run rate, mm-hmm. that's when funds are going to start really taking an interest. Um, but even then, it's still you know pretty difficult to you know to actually end up raising the capital. So one to two million um, run rate. That is that around the Series A. You would you would call it for the next round? Or? Yes, typically. Okay, excellent. So now I, I think another area where I know Fulcrum is very proficient, uh, and I know you personally. But what are some of your what's some of your advice and thoughts around term sheets? Because I think critically important, major differentiators from uh, from in- investors from the angel side, uh, the growth capital side. But what are some of your thoughts on term sheets? Yeah, that's something where entrepreneurs need to be very, very careful, Um, especially even at the angel stage. You're starting to see, like I mentioned from the Angel Capital Association, they're putting a lot of money to work. So they're much more professional in the way they're doing it. They're not as much investing in common stock right now or just basically giving you the money away. They have terms very similar to ours. And a lot of entrepreneurs just want to go out and raise at as high of a valuation as possible and think, oh, well, I just raised it at a 10 or $20 million valuation. The problem is you then actually have to create 10 or $20 million of value before you can you know, live up to that. Right. Um, but people are focused on that, but what they don't realize is that sometimes somebody will offer you that valuation but then give you very punitive terms. And that's everywhere from control provisions, protective provisions. And when I say that, it's sometimes the you know, investor will ask you to revest your stock. So mm-hmm. while when you start the company, you own 100%, they might put in capital and own 10%, but now you have to earn back your 90% through hitting milestones or even time-based. And I've seen this happen to um, a few people that I know, actually. It's very unfortunate where they've taken those terms and they didn't realize they could actually get fired from their company, that they had given up board control as well. And these investors put in not a ton of money, right. took about 10% ownership of the company, and then... 
were able to fire the CEO and he lost all of his equity. And that's just really, really unfortunate when you see that happen. And it's one of those things, you know, everyone I think is very, uh, you know, fee sensitive and talking to lawyers and by no means do we love paying them either. But when it comes to getting, you know, a term sheet and raising capital for your fund or not for your company, get good legal representation. It pays for itself in spades over time. And just really focus on all of those little provisions that you might not think are anything, but can really end up, you know, potentially making or breaking your company. Yeah, actually, I completely agree. We're, we're in the middle um, of a deal now with uh, one of my companies in, that I've invested in and also one of their, their first customers. And um, we hired phenomenal counsel from uh, Morris Manning and Martin. Uh, and uh, they've actually unbelievable. And they're actually saving us a ton of money because they're being able to sharpshoot kind of some of the issues that we would kind of have to stumble across later on. But they've had so much experience that we've, uh, you know, just this, just this morning in a meeting, we we're talking about how they probably saved us money. And most people don't attribute saving money with attorneys. <laughs> yep. But uh, but this is a good example of why they certainly can and, and how they can help you structure deals. Um, so what do you look for in an entrepreneur? This is something that I've seen on a lot of cool panels. Uh, and just, uh, you know, Bob Crutchfield mentioned this uh, in one of the panels. Um uh, at uh, the Health IT Leadership Summit uh, last fall, uh, and several other firms were there. But um, what do you look for in an entrepreneur or a team that you get excited about and then makes you want to invest in their company? You want to be a part of that. What do you see? What- yeah, this is going to be a little interesting, but you know, you're married. I'm about yep. to get married. And yep. when you go into investment, it's a lot like a marriage, mm-hmm. except it's actually more difficult to get out of. <laughs> So good point. <laughs> so it's one of those things. It's actually somebody you want to work with. That's the number one thing when you go into that first meeting that you sit down and say, this is somebody I actually want to do business with. This is, a, you know, three, five, maybe you know, up to a 10 year, you know, business relationship where you're going to be talking to them on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis and, you know, really trying to help them grow. And as part of that, it's this is a little different from us than maybe other funds who might be a little less hands-on, but we look for people who are coachable. Um, mm. All of our partners are ex-operators, our investors are a lot of former CEOs. We want people that are willing to learn, willing to grow, um, and want a r- real partnership. You know, if there's other funds that if you have a you know team that maybe be on might be on their fourth or fifth deal that have investors they know that are just wanting to raise you know ten million bucks and move on. That's great. There's some really good funds out there that do that, but that might not necessarily be, um, you know, who we are and what we look to do. So, and you maybe just touched on a little bit towards the end there. What do you stay away from? What what kind of a deal or a company or an entrepreneur would you stay away from? Yeah, that's very true. It goes back to just people you don't want to do business with. I mean, it's really this is kind of a, maybe it's a southeastern thing versus you know other parts of the country, but it's very relationship business. It's mm-hmm. very much so. You know, people you want to be with, people you want to um, spend your time with. And then, I mean, also just from a not-so-soft standpoint, it's, you know, people who have very, you know, a lot of people have very unrealistic valuation expectations and are coming at it thinking, you know, you're worth, you know, $50 million when you're, you know, half a million dollars in revenue. Um, Some companies are worth that. You know, you see companies in town like Yik Yak that just raised a ton of money at a huge valuation and, you know, couldn't be happier for those guys. Um, That's not the types of deals that, you know, we necessarily look to focus on. So it's probably not the best use of our time or the entrepreneur's time. Um, 
you know, to look at those type of companies. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. So what type of exits are you looking for? I always, and I mentioned this, I'm part of a couple angel groups in town, and it's like every time you bring that up, everybody chuckles. It's like, as long as I can get my money back, I'm fine. But that's, that's not really the way I see investing. When I look at an investment, I'm not looking just to make my money back. I'm looking at, you know, all the time that I put into it, you know, cost of capital, everything, because I'm not going to make money over here if I'm putting money over here. So then I got to, you know, work on those types of calculations. So, uh, you know, here... Is it 3x, 5x? What do you guys look for uh, to say, hey, that was a successful exit? 10x? Yeah, we look for, we try to make what we tell our investors is three to five times our money in three to five years. Our goal is to get a net 20 to 25% IRR, so rate of return, you know, compounded for time, back to our investor base after any fees or, um, you know, carried interest and things like that. So, You'll talk to some angel investors who might be more interested in 10 to 20x, but they're taking a lot more risk than we are when we come in at 2 million plus. So, right. you know, yeah. they're going to take a lot of zeros. So they want to make 20x on a deal and need to see that. Whereas we're not necessarily looking to make that. If we do, we're very happy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not necessarily how we look at deals. No, I understand. Excellent. So now kind of diving into some of the really um, cool aspects of of your fund and then also kind of your personal experiences. And these are going to get a little bit personal. So what companies in your portfolio are you really excited about today and why? So I know this kind of puts you on the spot. It puts your companies, your investments on the spot. But who are some of the companies that you're invested in, uh, you're excited about, and why? So – I guess our companies are a little bit like our children, you know. Right, you gotta, exactly. uh, Love me, yeah, exactly. Yes, but um, there's actually one that I've been really. How many kids with. do you have? None I'm yet. I'm just kidding. None I just... yet. Um, on the on the horizon. Now. <laughs> right, right. Um, but there's one up in Raleigh called Rival Health. A child or a company? Company. Okay, good. It's a company. Yeah, sure. um, but it's kind of in the wellness universe. Um, very rival kind of, health. Rival health. Cool. Um, based in Raleigh, and like really excited exciting space mostly because as individuals are paying more for their health care they're starting to get more focused on how they can actually keep their costs down and you know it's kind of sad to say a lot of people a lot of people in washington are trying to figure out how do we lower that cost of health care and oh, all yes. of this yeah. there's really you know three ways to do it that i think everyone would agree Eat right, exercise, <laughs> quit smoking. Right. You do those three things, you're most likely going to be healthier. Right. So, but it's very difficult for people to do that. And, you know, it's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. So what Rival does is they use teams, challenges, rewards, and incentives, um, partnering up with um, people's companies to actually get them to live healthier. They give you a daily kind of exercise and nutrition plan, both daily and weekly, for what do you do, what exercises should I do, tailored to what your interests are, what equipment you have, what foods you like. And it's very it's a pretty, you know, powerful software engine mm-hmm. that produces all of this. And then, you know, HR can challenge sales and different, you know, you oh, know, ten K cool. challenges or right. and raising capital challenges for who can raise the most money for, you know, this five K and you know, so that's kind of a very interesting play that we think can have a pretty strong impact on the actual cost of healthcare. I actually did that ironically a couple of years ago at uh, Greenway. My um, one of my groups marketing, we challenged. Oh boy, I forget, now I forget the company. I want to say it was Athena, but it was one of the, it was another marketing department to see who could um, basically run the most from the from the team. Uh, and uh, and then also then we would donate the winner ended up donating money to uh, to charity, 
but I don't know exactly where that went. I think we challenged, and they didn't pick up the challenge. Another company wouldn't take my team on, but okay. my team was extremely fit. We used my military, my uh, my army background, and our physical fitness and training tests. So it was uh, we were ready. That's great. But they didn't. Uh, I don't think they accepted the challenge. Um, so now, what's the one of the most ex- interesting things that you have seen as a growth capital investor out there? Yeah, that's um, <laughs> you know the market's changed pretty significantly since I got involved in this about I guess eight years ago. And really, it's just the growth of Atlanta as its kind of own oh, ecosystem. Good point, yeah. Um, when I started out, a guy named Stephen Fleming, great guy, and he still walks around with his button, I think, but it had a uh, valley written on it with an X, X mark through it. it. He still has it today. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he's a great guy, but, you know, that whole idea of Atlanta is not Silicon Valley, and it shouldn't try to be. Atlanta should try to be Atlanta. That's right. And that's really what we have done. Now you have the Atlanta Tech Village. You have everything happening on the west side right now. You have the, all the incubators over at Crog Street Market, uh, or sorry, Pond City Market. Yeah. It's just really exciting to see this city grow and the companies here that I really think can be billion-dollar companies in Atlanta. I mean, you have Ionic Security. You have Sales Loft. You have Yik Yak. Yeah. I mean, you have some really exciting companies. I mean, yeah. MailChimp, who hasn't even taken venture capital. Yeah. Um, just some great companies that are starting to make Atlanta really its own, you know, kind of billion-dollar universe. I mean, AirWatch getting bought by, for over a billion yeah. um, by VMware is just really exciting. Yeah. No, in those companies, actually, like SalesLoft is one of the, one of my new ventures that I'm going to kind of pour some time into. I'm going to implement SalesLoft. I met with their CEO. Actually, you connected me. Yeah, Kyle's um, a great guy. Yeah, to Kyle, Kyle Porter, and uh, had a great conversation with him a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to implement his uh, software uh, in my next uh, one of my next venture, uh, ventures and investments. So, Excellent. And I was just talking about that this morning. Um, so, in our closing uh, minute here, or actually, probably twenty seconds, what's one of the biggest mistakes that you've seen uh, out there uh, with a uh, with an entrepreneur? Definitely raising capital at too high of a valuation, and then the investors not taking follow on money mm. because it was at a down round, and actually taking a zero on their capital versus oh, wow. taking a down round, and you just feel really bad for the <laughs> entrepreneur when you see that happen. Oh, wow. Good point. Um, great advice. And I actually think a great uh, piece of advice to, to close the show on. So, Philip, it was a great to have you as my guest today, and I wish you all the best uh, in your continued success as a growth capital investor uh, and a fund manager. Thank you. And thank you for, uh, to everyone for listening today uh, and joining us. And please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. And as always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all of my content will be posted on my website at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week. 